Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. It is my honor and privilege to have as our guests today, Nancy Beach and Samantha Beach Kylie. Nancy serves as a leadership coach with the Slingshot Group and is also on the teaching team at Soul City Church in downtown Chicago. Samantha Beach Kylie is a writer performer, and she is also the newly named associate pastor at Church on Morgan in Riley. Samantha and Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Steve. So the book that you just released with InterVarsity is called Next Sunday, An Honest Dialogue About the Future of the Church. Tell me about why you felt compelled to write this book and why you felt compelled to write it now. I think it really grew out of conversations our family's been having for really years uh, since Samantha and her sister were little about church. I've always served uh, at a church, my husband as well. He's been a volunteer and I've served on staff at, at, at a church. And we do a lot of debriefing and evaluating and saying what's working and what isn't and what do we hope for and what are we disappointed by uh, as we look at the church. So it really grew out of those conversations and the fact that I'm a baby boomer and my daughter, Samantha, is a millennial, just gave us an interesting perspective on, on the future of the church. Samantha, what about you? What, what about this process was important for you or maybe cathartic or eye-opening for you? Oh, it was, it was really eye-opening. You know, I think the book also came to us now because we're seeing a lot of churches start to transition leadership from my mom's generation to mine. And it's personal because I'm stepping into a, a leadership role and asking the question, what do we want to hang on to? What are the great gifts that um, the previous generations have given us in terms of how we do ministry? What might need to evolve and what do we want to let go of? And so um you know, there, there's a lot of good. And I think, um, you know, it can be easy as a young person to say it's all wrong and we got to start over. And I think what was eye-opening probably was writing the book and reflecting on my mom's legacy and that of the people I grew up watching do church and how much of it I'm grateful for. And then at the same time, watching my friends move away from the church and longing for a place that they would feel comfortable returning to. My friend Mark Labberton says, no two children ever grow up in the same family. And I think that you could also say no two people ever grow up in the same church. And even though you both spent, you know, decades at the same church in suburban Chicago, that was deeply formative for me. Like I remember skipping classes in a college student in Indiana in the early nineties, sneaking into Lakeside Auditorium for a church leadership conference and really feeling compelled uh, to, to to be a part of full-time ministry. And so that was, that was a meaningful and pivotal moment for me. That said, you attended the same church, but you had different experiences from it. How was it for you to process those experiences, both the good, the bad, and the ugly together in retrospective, as you sat down to pull this resource together? Mm. Yeah. You know, I don't think it was hugely surprising to either. We've been having this dialogue. So I think, um, it was, it was maybe healing and cathartic to, to write through some of um, our processing, but I don't think we shocked each other with, with what our experiences have been. Um, you know, we had just completely different vantage points. My mom helped build this ministry and um, led a team for many, many years and 
like I said, built a legacy that I'm really grateful for, particularly in the arts and as a woman in leadership, I got to see that. And then there was a real disappointing, you know, ending to that, which we talk about in the book as well. But then, and then for me, I, I was a kid. So we just come at it from really different vantage points. And I've gone on to find a pretty different church community now, but again, with lots of the same values that, that I was given growing up. Nancy, as a mom, what was it like for you to hear uh, Samantha and maybe even her sister's critiques or concerns and to be able to do that in a way, it, it sounds like as you wrote the book, you were able to receive those with, with open hands. Were there points where you, where you flinched or were there moments as a mom where you struggled to receive those critiques without taking it personally, either as an individual or as a representative of, of a generation or a worldview? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think every generation, whatever you're passionate about, um, it's almost impossible not to get defensive when the next generation comes along and says, hey, you know what, that's not really working for us, or we think you emphasize this too much and you overlook this. And, and so, you know, while the spirit of the book is uh, open-handed, I confess that I wasn't always that open-handed. You know, it's, it's not that easy because you feel like, hey, wait a minute, um, don't you know how hard we, we tried to make this wonderful and beautiful and it's so easy to be a critic and it's not that easy to be in the arena uh, doing the work. On the other hand, um, the, the graciousness with which Samantha and several other young people have approached these conversations made it a lot easier for me. I didn't feel like people were angry and uh, trying to to be mean or difficult, I felt like their spirit was, hey, could we take a look at this? And could we revisit some, some assumptions? And they affirmed some things that, that they appreciated and that are working well um, already. So yeah, I, but I do think it's kind of funny. I think if you take a really big picture look, this goes on generation after generation, you know, and the young people, I can't wait. I hope I, I live long enough to see Samantha's daughter's generation, you know, 20 years from now saying, yeah, you know, some of the stuff that you do, is just not really working for us in church. Cause that's what, that's normal. That's what, that's what happens. Each generation has to figure out to how to invent church for them. Nancy, I, I, and again, I'm very, very grateful for being shaped and formed by the seeker movement. My first, you know, spent 20 years in that environment in a church in suburban Detroit. We, we have we have some mutual friends in those spaces. It seems like when that movement got started, part of the impetus was a group of people who was deeply passionate about evangelism and said, hey, we have to reinvent the church because the church that we've been exposed to isn't relevant. Samantha, some of the concerns that I hear from other Gen X and millennial friends are, hey, we're leaving the church, not because it's not relevant, because you know, they, they're in touch with the arts. There's high production value. Like they, they can speak my, my technical and cultural language. I'm not concerned that the church is irrelevant. I'm concerned that the church is dangerous, mm -hmm. that it's, it's dangerous for women. It's dangerous for people of color. It's dangerous for people who consider themselves sexual minorities. Is that, is that a thread that you're hearing? Or has that just been kind of unique to my friend group? No, I think that's spot on. Yeah. They just don't, my friends don't trust the institution at all. And, and I agree. I think that it's actually toxic and um, informing culture or um, our country or politics in a, in a negative way. So Samantha, what do you say to, to maybe kind of boomer parents who 
are just perplexed. They just, they don't understand the pain or they don't understand the pushback and the concerns. And they're like, wow, I feel like the church as an institution has been really helpful to me. It's been helpful to my marriage. And it was formative for me getting discipled out of nominal Christianity or not a person of faith at all. They, there is that, there's that loyalty that wants to kind of close ranks behind an experience. And it's not that they don't want to be sensitive or empathetic. They just have zero frame of reference. What, what's your, what's your encouragement or challenge to people who are sitting in, in that seat today? I think what needs to be understood about my generation is that we grew up for me, it was about middle school where the internet became a daily event. And because of that, we grew up exposed to uh, a lot more injustice than just our zip, what we would have known inside of our zip code. And I think, and it became, as it has now for all of us, a 24 seven cycle. And part of that also is the ability to listen to voices that we might not have been exposed to in our little, for me, suburban bubble. And so we're listening now to the voices of uh, people of color and um, LGBTQ folks and indigenous people and people with disabilities and different groups who have felt like the church and the church isn't alone in this, by the way, many institutions we're seeing go through a huge reckoning in our culture. And, but I think people want the church to participate in that and to listen to these voices say, hey, the church has actually been part of pushing me to the margins or I haven't seen myself on your stages. I haven't felt included in this gospel that claims to be for, for everyone as you're presenting it. I think that young people are, are listening to that and wanting to see the church grappling with those issues and that legacy, even if it wasn't your church in particular, the church is standing in a long, long line of, you know, take the race issue, for example, um, the, the white American church was very complicit in the slavery that has, is still impacting us today, right? Those, that legacy. So anyway, I think we want to see people grappling with that and the church grappling with that and that's where these cries are coming from, in my very humble opinion. I don't claim to speak for my whole generation, but just in the conversations I've had with my friends, that's what I've observed. That's a great insight. Nancy, at the risk of me overgeneralizing, it seems like the, the seeker movement gave a great gift because it put a significant eva- uh, emphasis on evangelism that had, that had been lost in a, a big chunk of the church for a whole generation. It seems like there's a new wave that's trying to refocus or re-anchor the church in a prophet in a prophetic voice, like re-emphasizing or celebrating or affirming the the prophetic nature of what a local church can and should be. A friend of mine once said, "A prophet isn't a trash collector. They're just not like wandering around yelling at everything that's broken and wrong." They said, "A prophet is a treasure seeker. They're helping people sift through the ashes to find beauty." Uh, what is your experience be as what has your experience been? as somebody who is flexing that prophetic muscle, like exercising that prophetic voice, how, how have you fought to separate the wheat from the chaff? How do you, how do you hold on to what's good and critique what's very obviously broken? Well, you bring up evangelism and I think that's one very specific way in which I think we're revisiting. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we created some churches where it was safe for people to bring non-church friends um, to a gathering, um, but it was very, we call it attractional. It was very much, you know, if you build it, they will come and create something that isn't boring and something that's relevant and creative and, uh, and moves people. I still believe there's a place for that. Um, but we talk in our book quite a bit about kind of a new apologetic or form of evangelism, which has to do with what are you doing in your community 
that's making the community uh, a better place, a healthier place. And I think the younger generation, and I've watched this with Samantha's friends, have a heightened awareness. Like, is your church just about a bunch of people gathering for one hour on Sunday and, and that's like it? Is, is the surrounding community any different because your church is there? How do you serve the homeless? How do you serve people in prison? How do you walk alongside parents with after school programs? All that kind of stuff, um, I think is a, is a primary question. And I think there's some prophetic voices that have been out there now for 20 years or so, the last 20 years, with this missional movement and this idea that the church needs to move into the community. Samantha and I believe it's both. You know, we really do. We believe the gathering matters um, and it, it could be a part of reaching people for Jesus. Um, but we also believe all throughout the week matters and you know how we're moving toward people in need. Samantha, what, what do you feel like Nancy did right in parenting you or kind of co-journeying with you as you kind of reevaluated your experience with the church? Mm. Well, I watched her also um, reevaluate things and ask really hard questions about things that she had held to be true for far longer than me. And so that gave me permission, I think, to ask my own questions and to trust that God was big enough for them. And uh, that there was an element of this that's a mystery. And she always did so with um, great hope. And so uh, that just gave me a lot of permission. And I'm grateful for that. Nancy, what was it like for you to try to choose what, what parts of your journey you would share with your daughters? Um, I, I just, I know for me, I've really, really struggled. I've got four kids. They're 17, 15, 13, 11. And sometimes my wife, Kelly, and I are like, have we shared too much <laughs> about what, about the dark underbelly of working for a church or working as a part of church culture? How, how did you, how did you manage that tension? How, how did you try to be honest about where you were and then try to be protective about maybe not having your kids be horribly disillusioned with, with all of it? Oh, that, that was exact conversations my husband and I would often have. And I think um, age appropriate is important. And so sure. um, by the time they got into um, middle school and high school, uh, a, a very wise friend of mine said, you know, it's okay to tell your kids that the church isn't perfect. I mean, you don't have to tell them mm. all the gory details, but you're actually not serving them very well if you give them this illusion that everything is always great. And that was helpful for me. And as, as we went through some real extreme pain and challenges, and a lot of people listening have probably been through their own version of church pain, whatever that might be, um, I had to figure out and discern, and I'm not sure I did it perfectly, but just how much of this information do I need to let my daughters know? Because uh, first of all, I'm their mom and we're in a family and it affect, it's affecting me personally in a deep way but also what isn't necessary for them to know and how do I help them separate bad behavior by certain people in the church and certain leaders in the church from their faith in God and Jesus? How do you walk a path that says, just because these people have done some things that are very hurtful, um, we don't have to throw our whole faith out. And I tried to model that myself, even though I was going through my own pain um, and I, I really don't think it's a gift to your children to pretend. So I probably hid too much for too long, but finally we began to open up to them as they got older. 
So in the, in the wake of that very real hurt and some people are calling it trauma, what, what kept you tethered to your love for the local church? What kept one or both of you from just throwing up your hands and saying like, I'm not convinced that it's worth it. I think that was when I first learned that two seemingly contradictory things could be true at once. And my mom helped me give permission to hold both of those things. So um, this was a place that caused harm and it could have been a place that served people. And both of those things can be true. And there were just, that's a long, long list of both ands that came out of our particular church pain. And, uh, but that grew me up spiritually because that's the world we're in. And I actually think that's the posture that allows us to start to include the experiences of others like we were talking about earlier that have been different than ours. People who've experienced great injustice at the hands of the church going, oh, I haven't had that experience and you have, and there's room enough for both of that just growing up a little bit and being able to hold two things at once was helpful for me. I mean, for me, we're all aware that a lot of people, not just the younger generation, a lot of people are doing what's being called deconstruction or, you know, looking Mm -hmm. at the faith and saying, um, what do I still believe and what do I need to revisit or let go of? Um, For me, it, it, I don't know how to explain it other than um, I met Jesus when I was just seven years old. And my relationship with him and with, with the father um, never got rocked, even though I went through this church pain. It, I was able to say, this is grieving God too, you know, mm-hmm. and um, he sees my pain. He's walking with me in this and he's my refuge. And like Peter said to Jesus, you know, where else would we go? I look at, mm-hmm. you know, where else would I go, but to my heavenly father, but also I still have hope for the church. I still believe that it's God's plan for bringing the world to himself. I I still believe it's our best hope. And while we mess it up and get it wrong much of the time, there's also still some incredible beauty and joy and wonder and comfort and great relationships that can be formed within the local church. And I see it all the time when I'm coaching churches, we, we see the headlines. What we see are the moral failures and what gets talked about. Meanwhile, there are hundreds, if not thousands of churches that are doing a really good job. Churches of all sizes, churches um, all over the globe that give me hope and they're none of them perfect. They all have their dysfunctions. I, I tell my husband when I coach now, I don't go into a church and think, hmm, I wonder if this church is dysfunctional. I just go in and say, what version of dysfunction? Because we're human, we're all sinners, me included, and we show up with that. Um, I am extremely excited. We're on the verge of my daughter uh, in September taking on a role at a church. And I visited that church and I couldn't be more excited for her to step into this arena and give it her give it her very best now do i have some concerns yes when she first told me i was thinking really do you really want to work for a church maybe you could just volunteer that that, <laughs> that might be safer you know so so i it's been mixed but most most of all i'm proud of her and i'm excited not just for her but for the people she's going to have a chance to influence samantha you're 
a, a newer mom and you have watched your mom do some really great things and help you manage some of these tensions. As you think about raising your daughter up in the faith, what, what gifts do you, do you want to give her as she, she navigates similar and different tensions going forward? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. We talk about it all the time. I, I, I'm grateful. I feel like my introduction to God and to church was primarily rooted in love. And I just long for her at this young age to know how beloved she is and by people around her and by what holds the world together. And so I hope we can express that to her. And I'm really excited because the church we're going to be a part of has a foundation in the arts, which is what connects my mom and my abilities and passions. And their children's ministry is all oriented around expression as a means to kind of process these things they're learning about God and questions that they're asking. And so I'm really excited to, to give her some tools to, to better enter into the mystery. That's so good. Talk again about bo- both of you are, are artists, you're creatives, you are, are committed to creating environments where people experience mystery and wonder and beauty. Talk, just talk again for why that matters now as much as it ever did. Mm-hmm. Especially in the wake of some people saying like, man, the world is dark. The church is broken. Let's just, yeah. let's burn it all down and start from scratch. Well, if we ever needed beauty, you know, it's now, um, if we ever needed hope and light and warmth, um, and, and a place where it, it not, doesn't just speak to our head, but to our hearts. So I think there's something about church that is both and needs to include the emotive, you know, that you feel something deeply while you're there, a sense of awe, a sense, like you said, of wonder, of the transcendent nature of God. Um, I think that matters more than it ever has. And however it gets expressed, um, I, I celebrate it. I celebrate that when we gather together, we can have an experience of silence or an experience of worship or an experience uh, of even laughter um, or when our when we get choked up by something and we're doing it to get we're experiencing that together instead of just at home on our little screens um, yeah. I think there's more than ever a place and a desperate need for that I couldn't agree more I think just because the aesthetic shifts doesn't mean that any of, we should lose any of these forms the aesthetic is going to shift as culture does but um, we talked a bit about the trust that's been broken between Um, young folks in the church. And I can't think of a better way to build back that trust than to use creativity to name and ask the things that are barriers for people and let those things just stand in that space um, without the need. Arts don't have the need to resolve everything and tie everything up the way, frankly, a pastor often feels they have to do. So I think artists are such, talked about profits. I just think artists are such a great gift to the church in terms of making people feel seen and heard. And uh, yeah, I hope we see a lot more of the arts in the years to come. Well, I'm, I'm, again, I'm grateful to the both of you and your commitment to paint a version of the gospel that includes not only wonder and beauty, but allows for um, mystery and questions and tension. I think that sometimes pastors and preachers, and I've been guilty of this as well, tend to approach the faith like a mathematician, like, oh, this is this is an algebra equation. And if we run the right formulas, we can solve it. And we solve for X and X equals four and everybody's happy. And the poet and the painter, right. uh, the, the actor does, doesn't say those things. They, they allow room for like the full breadth of the human experience. And I think that 
I have a friend who once said the person who tells the best story wins. And I think that the church often hasn't told great stories and they haven't told stories well. So I just, I thank God for you and your commitment to tell better stories and to tell stories better, because I, th- I think that's, a, that's the heart of the gospel. Like, no, you could never make an argument that that's not who Jesus was and not what Jesus did. Amen. <laughs> so again, thank you so much for your time. Any, any closing thoughts or, or challenges or words of encouragement for people who are walking this path or, or could benefit from the book? Again, it's called Next Sunday, An Honest Dialogue About the Future of the Church. Well, I would just say the book is really intended to be a dialogue. We know some people who are reading it together or families, uh, multiple generations reading it and talking about it. Um, We're not trying to give a bunch of quick answers to anything. We're just putting out there our perspective, which is obviously limited as two white suburban, you know, straight women. You know, know, we're not um, trying to represent everybody's voice, but we really did want to stir up the dialogue. And I hope that that, that that's what the book will do. And also that for those who are ready to give up on the church, that they'll give it another shot. And, and we want to give them that hope. Great. Nancy and Samantha, thanks again for your time. Thanks for the book. Again, it's called Next Sunday. There's going to be a promo code that you'll find on our social media about how you can track down a copy at a discount. You've listened to Hope Through Hard Stuff. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.